coming up, the truth about lifting your 4x4. It doesn't get much more bogan-centric or testosterone-fueled than that in Australia. So, let's roll. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Yes. For buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that is occasionally kind of up there, except on TVs and iOS devices. Dude. Okay, so I have a question now that is highly relevant to the Dingo Piss Creek Visitation Fraternity. You know who you are. And I do love you in that wholly platonic and deeply heterosexual way. Don't think I don't. Not for a moment. That's why I want you to get this right. This is from Steve Best, Bestie, the grumpy old platoon sergeant. Now, Steve says that like it's a bad thing, but I'd suggest that being grumpy and old is actually the new Brad Pitt. And furthermore, thank you sincerely, Steve, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart for your service to the nation. Steve says, I was wondering if you may be able to provide some insight into the pros and cons of installing a lift kit onto a vehicle like a dual cab ute. If you have any information with respect to this matter, I would love to hear your advice, please. I have a 2013 Nissan Navara D40 that I recently had a 2-inch lift kit installed to gain better ground clearance when I am off the tarmac as the factory suspension did not comply with the Make Australia Less Shit program. Let me just interject here momentarily by suggesting that if more of us just got on board with the program, made Australia Less Shit just this much every day incrementally, Imagine how much better we'd be dealing with things currently. Like, dude, just saying. Steve goes on. I am very interested to know if I have inadvertently placed undue stress or pressure onto any of the other components in the drivetrain. The facility where I had the work done assured me that the installation of a lift kit was safe and risk-free. Yeah, well, they would, wouldn't they? Many thanks. Kind regards, Bestie, the grumpy old platoon sergeant. Right, our Bestie. Love your work, dude. And I don't think you've done too much in the domain of bad. Generally good. We'll get into that, okay? And a lot of people allege, they're always saying it to me, that I'm kind of anti-modification. I'm not anti-modification at all. What I am is anti-modification for its own sake, dude, because modifications have to make sense, i.e. leave shit well enough alone unless it no longer does what you need it to do and you are therefore overcoming a deficiency in a well-thought-out and methodical way rather than just, you know, looking at modification porn after a few scoobs one night and spending the inheritance on... Stuff that you don't really need, dude. That happens all the friggin' time. So, in this case, Bestie needed more ground clearance. I get that. He's achieved that, so job done. What you've got to do, however, if you decide to modify a vehicle, is just understand that over here you've got, you know, the marketing hype, and over here you've got the reality. And the reality is always additional to the marketing hype, right? Hype, 
reality. And over here, reality is going, yeah, well, you did that. You got more ground clearance. But here's the downside. There's always a downside. It's inherent to the nature of engineering compromise. You don't jack up your vehicle and have it behave just as well on the highway. You just don't. You don't jack up your vehicle and then swerve around a kangaroo as effortlessly as you used to. That's just nutbag city limit visitation stuff. If you think you can do that, like, dude, have a good hard look at yourself in the mirror. It doesn't work that way. And I suggest, therefore, that what you have to do is embrace what you've done if it achieves the desired result and then deal with the downside because engaging with the facts, engaging with reality, kind of important in an environment where you're rocketing down the road at 100 k's an hour in a two-ton box with a lot of acquired energy because nobody gives a shit. Like Isaac Newton doesn't give a shit what you think about the modification. The physics is what matters, okay? It's really important to realise that. So let's drill down into this in some detail. And the first thing I uh, jotted down here was I said, usually when you jack up your vehicle, you also change the wheels and tyres, right? Because if you leave the factory tyres on it and you jack it up two inches, it does start looking a bit anorexic on the wheel and tyre front. And, you know, therefore, jacking it up a bit usually gives you the opportunity to run bigger diameter tyres also, which will give you an improvement in off-road performance, perhaps, but also not without the downside. So let's look at that first, because the lift and the re-rubbering of one's 4x4, you know, they usually go hand in hand. So the D40 Navara from back then, it ran out of the factory. Most dual cabs ran out of the factory with two 5570R16 tyres, right? And they have an outside diameter, according to my calculations at least, of 763 millimetres, right? And the typical upgrades for off-road performance for those kinds of tyres are a 33-inch tyre upgrade on 15-inch wheels or a 35-inch. So let's look at the implications of doing that. Now, if you fit a 33-inch upgrade, the uh, diameter of those tyres is going to go up to 826 millimetres. That's according to BF Goodrich. I'm using the specs for their all-terrain TAKO2 tyre, all right? Up from 763 to 826 millimetres on the diameter, which is proportional to the increase in the rolling circumference of those tyres, it's 8% bigger, okay? And it also gives you a 31 millimetre lift, so that's an inch and a quarter in America, all right? If you go the full hog and go for 35s, then that'll jump your diameter up to 877, which is a 15% increase in diameter circumference, okay? And also a 57 millimetre lift, which is roughly two and a quarter inches, America. Okay, so this has implications for things like gearing, brakes, speedo accuracy, the transmission durability, clutch durability, things of that nature. So let's just think about that. When you fit bigger diameter tires, it's like having a push bike with bigger diameter tires. It's easier to go up the gutter and jump off the gutter, right? Because the bigger tire relative to the size of the obstruction just rolls over it easier. And that's going to improve off-road performance. And you're also going to get that additional ground clearance, especially if you've got a solid axle rear, okay? Because the extra sidewall height is just 
up here for the diff, right? So that's all good off-road. But if you still do most of your driving around the city, what's going to happen is you're doing a hill start and it's like having a much taller first gear. And this has implications for automatics and for manuals, it doesn't matter. What it means is that it's harder to overcome the inertial mass of the car and get moving, especially if you try to do it quickly, especially if you're battling gravity, especially if you are towing, okay? These things are all kind of important. And what that means is that the whole drive line, the clutch, the torque converter, the fluid in your automatic transmission, all sorts of components like that have to work harder because it's like trying, in a sense, it's like trying to take off in second gear, like a taller version of the first gear that you've already got. So there's that. And if you don't acknowledge that by trying to take off with a hill start more gently, then you are going to have durability kinds of knock-on effects from fitting larger diameter tyres. And here in speed regulation obsessed Australia, your speedo is also going to be 8% out in the case of fitting those 33 inch diameter tyres, and it's going to be 15% out in the case of fitting the 35s, okay? And given that you are already operating in a world where the speedo is probably over-reporting your speed, like 100 indicated it's probably more like about 94 really, with the standard tyres and the standard gearing, okay? So then if you bump it up to about 8% over by fitting 33s, then the speedo's likely to be more or less bang on, and then it's likely to be misreporting the other way if you go up to 35s, okay? And the obvious way to deal with this is to whip a TomTom -tom or some other portable GPS unit, or use your phone, it doesn't matter, just get something that independently receives GPS signals with a speedo attached to it and recalibrate your speedo so that you can say to yourself, okay, 95 indicated equals 110 in reality or something, whatever it is. You'd want to know so that you don't just get booked endlessly and so that you're not just kind of guessing. And you also have to acknowledge that any change in the height of the vehicle, even if it's just the tyres, right, it's going to change the handling. And we'll get to that when we talk about the lift. But if you do the lift and you change the tyres for these bigger diameter tyres, it's not just a two-inch lift. Because if you fit the 33s, it's two inches plus an inch and a quarter for the tyres. So it's three and a quarter inches or whatever that is, about 80, 81 millimetres, something like that. Anyway, in total. Okay, And if you fit the 35s, then the height difference is even greater. And in general, the high-speed handling, the highway handling, the handling around town, it's going to suffer. And also, changing from road bias tyres to more all-terrain bias tyres, that's going to involve a reduction in refinement and also on-the-limit performance when you're driving on the highway. So it's important for you to do a bit of recalibrating there, right? Because what you want to do is you want to say, well, I did it for off-road performance, but I have to acknowledge a reduction of performance that knocks on as a feedback effect when I go out and drive on the highway. That's really important to acknowledge. And the only way to compensate for that is to drive 
more conservatively when you're not off-road because you'll have a bigger performance envelope over here off-road doing the stuff you love with your blue singlet on and your friggin' Akubra with the crocodile teeth or whatever, okay? The road to Dingo Piss Creek, yes. However, when you're just driving on the highway, which is still going to be most of the drive to Dingo Piss Creek, you are going to have to be more conservative. There's also an effect on the brakes, okay, because the powertrain and the brakes are kind of like the same thing. They deal with the inertial mass of the car. They manage kinetic energy, if you like, but the brakes do it in reverse, okay? So if it's harder for the powertrain to get going because the increased diameter made the gearing effectively taller, then it's also harder for the brakes to engineer in a particular rate of deceleration because the same gearing problem which is between the brake rotor and the rubber meeting the road because of the increased radius of that difference that's going to have a knock-on effect on the brakes as well and it's very important therefore when you're out there with a lot of kinetic energy on the highway endlessly to drive more conservatively to drop back from the vehicle in front and to acknowledge that you're going to have reduced braking and handling capability if Skippy jumps out and you don't want to you know, maim the coat of arms or something. So that's just the tyres. This is before fitting the lift kit and what that can do, okay? And I'm not saying don't do this at all, right? What I'm saying is embrace the good, deal with the feedback. Otherwise, you're off with the friggin' fairies, okay? Kind of important. So with the lift, what you generally get, and there's a lot of grey area with lifts, but it's pretty hard to argue with the assertion that what you're doing is essentially changing the position of the centre of mass of the car. So you're jacking the centre of mass up relative to the roll centre, which could be largely unchanged, okay? And what that means is every time you go around a corner at a particular speed, you're going to be building in more and more body roll the bigger the difference gets between the mass centre and the roll centre. And the roll centre is just a hypothetical point where the car rotates in roll, okay? And it's basically defined by geometry, length of control arms and things of that nature. And when you jack up the body, you are raising that difference. It's like using a bigger spanner to undo a nut, okay? The lift is the biggest spanner, the factory option is the smaller spanner, less roll, like that, okay? Harking back to the tyres, one other thing to consider is that they're usually heavier, right? And that means that you've got greater unsprung mass on the road. And one of the ways to improve the handling of a particular vehicle is to reduce unsprung mass. That's why alloy wheels are so popular, for example, in racing, because they reduce the unsprung mass, okay? If you put bigger, heavier tyres on the road, the greater unsprung mass degrades the handling of the car. So there's that as well, okay? The feedback effect that you must compensate for if you modify the car to do what you love doing with it, all right? Now, when you jack up the car, okay, that's a little bit, in a sense, you know when you go over a crest and your stomach sort of falls away and everything droops? right? Well, your suspension is literally drooping on that over the crest when you're striving to fall back down under the influence of gravity and the suspension goes like that a little bit until everything catches up and normal driving attitude is resumed, okay? 
when you jack the car up, all of those control arms and steering arms and things of that nature, if it's a two-inch lift, they kind of droop down to where it would be if you were floating and they just droop down two inches. And the only problem with that is you're driving endlessly like that. And that means that all of the control arms, in particular for independent front suspension and things of that nature, and the steering geometry and that sort of stuff, it's all driving continuously kind of like that a little bit, right? So that's a little bit like trying to dance in the manner of Virgil Tracy walking down the street. It's not ideal, okay? And it, it can engineer in sort of unexpected dynamic feedback effects when you're cruising at highway speeds and things like that. And that's more evidence to substantiate my claim that you need to be conservative in these domains where you've actually degraded the handling. Like you've increased the performance over here, you've degraded the performance over here. And that's just the nature of engineering compromise, okay? So essentially what you're looking at is a reduction in swerve, avoid, recover, control sort of um, dynamics, okay? And this is particularly relevant if a kid steps out in the city or if kangaroo hops out in the bush, okay? Swerve, avoid, and recover. It's a three-part operation, and part three is really important. It's no good to swerve and avoid skippy and then hit the biggest gum tree on the side of the road. That's a disaster. So you must be able to swerve, avoid, and recover. And the only way to get the same sort of swerve, avoid, recover performance when you jack your car up is to drive slower at highway speeds, right? And that's quite unpalatable for a lot of people. They want to be able to... Some dingo piss creek visitors want to be able to do some properly kooky stuff, you know? They want to be able to tow three and a half tons without any sort of knock-on performance limitations. They want to be able to jack the car up without those. And you don't get that. The feedback is there and you must compensate for it because you have a responsibility, not just to yourself and society. Like, I don't want to pay for your ongoing medical treatment, dude. I just don't. And you've got a responsibility, like a moral responsibility to everyone else around you. And also the first responders who might have to come and attend the scene of your horrific crash where you just maimed yourself and your family, whatever. Like, there's a big impact with that kind of stuff and therefore you have to engage with reality here and be more conservative where you hurt the performance okay so essentially you've got the suspension thinks it's drooped and you've got this non-ideal steering geometry which you might be able to compensate for somewhat but manufacturers go to great lengths to establish a ride height for a vehicle with the control arms more or less horizontal they don't want the control arms operating like this when they should be like that because the more you get like this, when the suspension moves in response to, in particular, more droop, what you get is the radius involves much more non-ideal movement than when it's out here and horizontal because the radius is like that. You don't get much backwards, forwards kind of travel when the arm's horizontal. But when you've got the arm drooped like this, you know, the radius is like that when the suspension moves. And this is a lot more backwards, forwards kind of movement than just plain old up and down. And the backwards, forwards is really bad for transient handling abominations like bump steer and roll steer and things of that nature, okay? So 
embrace the additional off-road performance, but live with the feedback and compensate. Not only live with it, but compensate for it. In a more modern car, you've also got to worry about ESP calibration, right? Because ESP calibration assumes a certain level of interaction between things like speed, steering angle, and body yaw rate, okay? When you fit different tires and you jack the vehicle up, you're gonna get a big difference between the steering angle and the body yaw rate at a particular speed, right? And that could easily mess with the ESP computer's head and guarantee it's not gonna mess with it in a good way. It's gonna change the way ESC operates and the change is not gonna be good. And what you've gotta realize is that you could say, oh, my car handles just fine, mate. And that's because you're driving it this far into the performance envelope and its grip envelope is out here and the problems might be gonna manifest themselves out here and you're always driving between here and here, that's good. But if something unforeseen happens, you get a tire blowout, for example, okay? A tire blowout is, well, ESP is a really good thing to have when you've got a tyre blowout because you've got a steering position and a speed and some degree of yaw out of the body and they're not adding up. And the ESP system can intervene and help you. And if you mess with that, <laughs> it's not good, okay? It's really just, it's not going to be good in extremis. And you never really know when the dynamics of the car are going to go from right here where you feel comfortable and you can't really perceive much of a change between how it drove factory and how it drives two-inch lifted and out here where it's all making all sorts of horrible howling noises and you rolled right over like this and the car is yawing out of control and it's all really not making sense, okay? And you're a contributor to that not making sense, even though other factors like kangaroo, child in the middle of the road, go over a crest and there's a, tr a crashed truck right there and you've got to swerve and avoid that. You never can predict everything that's going to happen out there, right? So you have to sort of compensate for that. And the other thing I'd suggest is that when you jack your car up, okay, the prop shafts, and in a four-wheel drive, there are two of them generally. There's a shorter one that goes forwards from the transfer case to take drive from the output shaft of the gearbox to the front end. And then there's a longer one that goes rearwards to the rear differential. Okay, those prop shafts are joined up at the ends with universal joints, which kind of allow, in an imperfect way, the shaft to operate at a range of different angles as the axles go up and down, the prop shaft moves like this and it still manages to turn and transmit drive, all right? When you jack your car up, let's say the standard angle is kind of that, all right? When you jack your car up, the standard angle goes like that a little bit more. It becomes a tighter angle is what I'm saying. And every time you do that to a universal joint, it makes it harder for it to do, for it to do its thing, okay? And that means a couple of things. If you drive like a cut cat and you put a lot of torque through the drive line and you're forcing it to operate through these tighter angles, those universal joints will either wear out more quickly or if you do it like um, you've got no mechanical sympathy at all, then what's going to happen is it's just going to go epic poopy in its trousers, which you don't want, 
halfway to Dingo Piss Creek because crop shaft going, falling out and just bits rolling down the road, that's undignified, right? It just is. So you're going to have to expect driveline components to need to be replaced more often in that sort of situation. But aside from that, like if you do a lot of off-roading and ground clearance really was compromised and you were able to drive the vehicle to the limit of its performance and the only fix for this was to lift it up a bit and you're prepared to embrace the negatives and also if it's a more recent vehicle than 2013, you're prepared to just write off the warranty because that's what will be happening. Like if you lift the suspension and then the gearbox just poopy in trowel, epically, the car maker's gonna brush you. They're gonna say, hang on, dude. You lifted the car, you changed the way the suspension interacts with the powertrain, blah, 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 denied, right? And there is really not a consumer court in the land that's gonna go, yeah, dude, they're wrong, we're on your side. You'll just get thrown under the bus. So you have to also embrace the administrative consequences of doing that and please note i'm just being the voice of realism here like the opposite of what you read on the websites of various suspension upgrade operations claiming this and that in that epic bullshit marketing way about how it's all butterflies and blowjobs and you're not going to roast in hell at all. Not even a little bit, not even just over here occasionally if one day a child steps out. So embrace the good, but also embrace the bad. And even more importantly, compensate for that bad stuff by driving more conservatively in those conditions where inevitably the vehicle is more compromised because you made it better over here. And I'm not saying don't do it.